Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And hey, I'm Liz. And this is episode 318, March Gamer Madness, rounds two to six solo games. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone, we are back, and we are back with some of the madness that goes along with March. And of course, if it is us, it's of course about board games. So on this March Madness episode, we will be going through the final rounds of our March Gamer Madness Solo Game Edition with our good friend Liz. Hey, Liz, what's up? Hey, it's good to be here. I'm uh, I'm excited to argue about solo games with people because it's just what we do, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah absolutely so liz what got you into solo games why are you such a big solo gamer well i've told this story before but basically my my gamer origin story is that i liked to play games a lot in grad school like i i'd had i'd liked games before kind of didn't play a lot in college i started playing in grad school and i started playing magic the gathering and i realized there's no way i was ever going to keep up with it but i wanted that same deck construction feeling so i discovered the uh, Lord of the Rings living card game. And then I realized I could play it by myself. And then I became a solo gamer because I could make all these decks and I was doing what I wanted to do with Magic the Gathering, but with a set of cards that wasn't, you know, I didn't have to go crack a pack to get what I wanted. And so uh, an addiction was born. Very cool. (laughs) 
Yeah, Anthony's been hooked for quite some time, and he's been uh, dragging all those solo games out here. But I am not a, you know, primary solo gamer, although I do solo game, especially these days. But Liz, you do a couple of other things other than just solo game all the time too, right? Yeah, I mean, most of my gaming, especially this year, is solo. I, I do game with students or with actual friends that I do have in real life um, when there's not a global pandemic going on. Uh, but I also, you know, I review solo games for the Dice Tower. I cover them on my channel. And um, my most consistent project these days actually is my podcast. So I have a, a podcast called Beyond Solitaire. And even though you would think that it's about more solo games, it's actually not. It's about historical games and kind of cultural issues surrounding games and just trying to like get to that next level of conversation about what games say about us and how we use them to talk about things. Awesome. Cultural artifacts in cardboard form. That's awesome. Yeah, someday an archaeologist is going to find our games and be confused. Actually, if I could find someone who'd be game for this, I would love to get like an archaeologist who doesn't game on my channel and show them miniatures from various board games and ask them to interpret them as if they were from an ancient culture. <laughs> that would be fantastic. You should do that. What do that. you think of this from Kingdom Death Monster? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I hope Kingdom Death Monster isn't like the, the sum record of our society. <laughs> like, but it like, might what be were they all doing? that plastic. <laughs> Yeah. See, I think of it the other way. I think Kingdom Death Monster will help us live through all these apocalypses just because it, it gives you all that kind of background. Oh, all right. You got to fashion a hut from a monster's hide? Sure. You know, this is how I remember how, I remember doing this. Hold on a second. Let me get the cards. Ah, okay. We pulled those together. It's great. I could do that. <laughs> so you learn a lot from board gaming. You'd be surprised. All right. So with that said, let's get on to the actual episode. And again, our future review March Gamer Menace Best Solo Game. So to start it off, we are talking about our first bracket, which is our co-op bracket. And our first matchup here is our number one game in this bracket, Spirit Island, versus our number nine game, Lord of the Rings Journey in Middle-Earth. Am I starting in on this one? Yeah, why don't you, why don't you give it a go? I, I kind of... Uh... Spoke my piece last week, especially on Lord of the Rings, because Jason was not a fan. So, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So, to me, this is no contest. There's a reason that Spirit Island is number one in this particular setup, and it's because as a game, it is just a work of beauty. Uh, I think that all of the different spirits have amazing variability. They combo so well. The game is so challenging, but in a really satisfying way. The expansions have contributed to the game over time in ways that I think enrich the game instead of detract from it. And it's just a really phenomenal entry into board gaming. Like if I could only keep a few of my games, Spirit Island would be high on the list of, you know, you have to have one bookshelf full of games. What do you keep? Spirit Island is probably going to make the bookshelf. Uh, whereas Journeys of Middle-Earth is fine. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> I'm not very excited about it. It's like it's okay. Like if I'm in the Lord of the Rings mood and other people want to play, like sure. But if I'm gonna play a Lord of the Rings game, it's gonna be the LCG. Whatever. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I totally agree with you. I do like Lord of the Rings. It seems like more than everybody else who comes on here. But um, <laughs> that that said, like Spirit Island is brilliant. This is like one of those games where I was like, oh, maybe I don't hate co-op games as much as I thought I did. Because uh, it has so much going on. And like, the amount of content that's available for it now, like you could just play this game over and over and over and over again. And that's yeah. a perfect solo game. So yeah. I'm with you. I don't 
this isn't really a fair matchup. This is like putting your reasonably attractive next door neighbor next to like Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that means our number one seed for that bracket, Spirit Island, moves on to the next round. Next up, it's our number 12 bracket, Ghost Stories, versus our number four in the bracket, Pandemic. All right. Uh, so we talked about this a little bit last week with Ghost Stories being like this game that just brutally kicks my butt every time I touch it. Um, and I like it because of how it does that. And it has, you know, a variability and expansion content. And I've played it many, many times. Like Jason's talking about how he can knock it out repeatedly and win, you know, more often than he loses at this point. I'm like, I don't know how many times I'd have to play Ghost Stories to get to that point, but I don't mind losing. Um Pandemic for me, and and we did mention last week, like when we say pandemic, we mean the pandemic gaming system, because if it's just pandemic base game, to me, that's more like a mechanic in a box than a game at this point. Like there's nothing there. There's no theme on it other than the very basic pandemic theme. But you've got the whole legacy series. You've got Iberia. You've got like, you know, the whatever the fall of Rome, whatever that's called. Um, there's so many different things you can do with the pandemic system. It's flexible. It expands. And when you do some of those things in some of those versions of the game, it's brilliant. Um, there are certain versions of pandemic. I don't like at all, but then there's some that I love. So I, there's a lot of cool things you can do there. Ghost stories that I think it's been reiterated once or twice and neither one of those really did it for me. I do love the original though. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with pandemic. It's not my favorite game in the world, but of these two, I think it's, it's a stronger one. Yeah, I'm not really a mega fan of either of these games. I think that they're both enjoyable. I've played both. Um, I'm not a pandemic person in the sense that I get really excited every time a new pandemic comes out, but I really respect the system and what it does. Uh, I do think that you're right that, honestly, pandemic is just a stronger entry than Ghost Stories. Ghost Stories is fun. It's worth playing. It's a solo classic. But if you had to leave one for posterity, I think pandemic would be the obvious choice between the two. So this is another easier choice, even though I'm not particularly passionate about either of those games, the way that I am about say spirit Island, which I adore. Right. All right. So that means our number four pick pandemic moves on to the next round. Next up is our number six seed Sentinels of the multiverse versus our number three seed Robinson Crusoe. What do you have for us, Liz? All right, so I think this is going to be my first push for an upset. I Ooh. I like both. I do like Robinson Crusoe. I think it's a good game. But also, what a misery fest sometimes. Like, there are just days when I don't want to play that game. <laughs> there is never a day when I don't want to play Sentinels of the Multiverse. Sentinels of the Multiverse is so fun. I love it. There's never a time when you can't find a combination of decks and enemies is going to do something for you. You can have a chill experience. You can have a brutal experience. You can play with your friends. You can play it by yourself. The app is great. There's really very few circumstances under which I do not want to play Sentinels and Multiverse. I love it. I have the giant box. It doesn't fit on anything. I don't care. <laughs> I love it. I have everything for this game. And, you know, if somebody says, hey, Liz, do you want to go play Sentinels? Yeah, 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 I want to play it. I'm, I'm gone. Let's go. But if you say, oh, do you want to play Robinson Crusoe? I'll be like, oh, let me check my mood tonight. And I'm not saying that Robinson Crusoe is a bad game. I acknowledge its quality is still a classic. I think there's really amazing things about it. But which would I rather play? Heck yeah, I'd rather play Sentinels in Multiverse. It's not even a question. <laughs> 
it's funny how you describe Robinson Crusoe because I feel exactly the same way about it. Where there are many nights where I'm like, I no, not not today. I don't want to do this. The problem is I also don't like Sentinels of the Multiverse. So um, <gasps> Robinson Crusoe, I know we went through this last week, and everybody's like, how can you not like Sentinels? Like I just don't. I don't know what it is. It's just the tracking, the the volume of content. I'm not even a huge fan of the early artwork. Just don't like it very much. Um, so. It's not a game for me. I know. I'm sorry. But Robinson Crusoe is. I love that game. It's a brilliant game. I have all the stuff for it. I think I am drawing the line at this new GameFound slash Kickstarter thing they're doing with miniatures because that's ridiculous. You don't need miniatures in Robinson Crusoe. But um, I'll, I'll take any new content for that game. I, I adore it. Uh, it. It is unfortunately the kind of game that I wouldn't play at any time. You know, like you said, there are certain times where that game is you know you're going to lose. You're setting yourself, you're like, I'm just going to get battered. I'm going to get, the storm's going to knock all my stuff out and someone's going to come steal my food and someone's going to stab me when I'm trying to build a raft. And that's just what the game is. Um, but sometimes that's perfect. So I don't know. For me, it's Robinson Crusoe. I think we're just setting ourselves up for a repeat of last week, though. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> what do you think, Chris? <laughs> What's your PayPal? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't own all of Sentinels of the Multiverse, but maybe we could correct that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to go with Liz on here because Sentinels of the Multiverse is a very diverse experience, whereas Robinson Crusoe is kind of a misery island kind of situation, which is still fun. It's still one of those kind of big, great games, but... It doesn't allow the, the the you know the diversity of options and characters that you possibly get in one game. Now that might be a little unfair for Robinson Crusoe because Sentinels of the Multiverse again has that as you said, Liz, that giant super box that nearly killed Jason last week. But yeah. you know it still has it, so I can't I can't deny the fact that it has it. So and I can't deny the fact that I played it solo. So who knows that actually happens sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That is true. Chris did play that solo. That doesn't happen very often. No. <laughs> so it's high praise from a non-solo gamer. All right. So that leads us to our next matchup, our number 10 seed, Street Masters, versus our number two seed of a fairly unknown game called Glo is that Glo Gloomhaven. I think it's called Gloom. I think that's how you pronounce it, right? Is that is that is that how it's pronounced? Is that the Icelandic for that? Like, I'm not sure. It's Whatever. not Glumhaven. It's it not could be Glumhaven. <laughs> there you go. I knew there was a, an un, there was an unlot somewhere, right? Yeah, we're missing <laughs> of the course. Uh, yeah this this is uh you talked about no brainers before with Spirit Island. This is a no brainer for me. Like Gloomhaven is it's Gloomhaven, and and I know it's like fashionable fashionable at this point for people to be like it's bloated, it's overblown. There's too much content. It takes too long. It's still brilliant. It's a brilliant game. It's just a messy masterpiece, right? Which a lot of the best game, well, not games, just generally things produced in the world are messy. And that's what makes them great. It's a singular vision from somebody who basically poured their entire life into a game for three years. And this is what we get. Um, but then you also have more content coming for it. So Jaws of the Lion finds a way to boil that down to something you can play, you know, without having to sit down for 120 sessions or whatever it is. Um, Frosthaven looks like it actually, you know, refines a lot of those things and actually sands some of the edges off. We haven't really seen it in full yet, but it's coming. Uh, Street Masters, I haven't really spent a ton of time with this, but it's just another 
I don't know. It's a game very similar to a lot of other games that you see on Kickstarter all the time. Uh, not bad. Just it's fine. It's a game like how you describe Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> see, I actually really do love Street Masters. I think it's a delightful game. I have, you know, the all the expansions, I think. I really, really enjoy Street Masters. I think highly of it as a game. But Gloomhaven's Gloomhaven. I, I, you just can't... I mean, in terms of what it does mechanically, in terms of what it's done for gaming, in terms of the fact that you can now go to Target and buy a Gloomhaven game because it's just had that much market penetration. Like, uh, gaming without Gloomhaven would not be the same in a way that... You know what I mean? Like, Street Masters is awesome, but if Gloomhaven were to disappear from the world as we know it, it would leave a void, if that makes sense. I think that Gloomhaven really does a lot as as a game, and my appreciation for it just kind of grows over time. I actually love Jaws the Lion, maybe more than the regular one, because it's easier to get out and play. And so, you know, it's also become more accessible. So it's not only a game that is innovative, but it's a game that's now more playable than it used to be. So I'm in. Yeah, no, I think that's huge because like Gloomhaven for me, I, I backed the original Kickstarter and I've had it now for what, five years, six years, however long it's been since it came out. Yeah. And I have still not finished the main campaign and I love it. It's like in my top 20 of all time. It's a brilliant game. It's like one of the games that made me think, Oh, I don't hate dungeon crawlers. Similar to how spirit Island made me realize I don't hate co-ops. Uh, but like you said, they're finding ways to make it more accessible and not have to, it's not so daunting to look at. We're like 109 freaking, okay. <laughs> I can't sit down that many times. I'm not going to do it. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's really good. All right. So that means our number two pick here, Gloomhaven, surprisingly enough, moves on to the next round, Ooh. which leads us to our next bracket, our Euro game bracket. And our matchup here is our number one seed, a game that Liz has never heard of, Mage Knight versus our number eight seed at the Gates of Loyang. Well, I guess it's fitting that I should go first for this since there is just no question for me. Mage Knight, it's like the gaming love of my life to date and like no one has managed to challenge that. It's just the case. I don't actually think of Mage Knight as a Euro, which I think is actually testament to how interesting it is as a game. It has so many different things going on with it, with the hand building and the Euro nature of it. And, you know, I think some people find it, you know, daunting at first, but there's also just so much to do and explore in that game. And I never come away with it from that game feeling like I haven't had some sort of adventure. And I just really, really dig it. Um, I, I like At the Gates of Lang. It's not even my favorite Rosenberg. It's fine. It's it's a perfectly good, solid solo Euro. It has not held my attention over years and years and years and years the way that Mage Knight does and continues to. So for me, this is a no contest matchup. Um, but I mean, I respect At the Gates of Loying, but I think that Mage Knight is like a shimmering jewel of brilliance and At the Gates of Loying is a good game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think i agree just in general like mage knight is brilliant i love it um i really like it at the gates of the Lang a lot it's one of my favorite rosenbergs to play solo but that doesn't that's not as glowing as it sounds like he makes some of the best euro games around but his solo versions are they're fine some of them are not fine uh, you know so um mage knight is primarily a solo game there's honestly i wouldn't play it not solo that's why i own it no. so that is it's just a brilliant brilliant game 
All right, so that means our number one seed, Mage Knight, moves on to the next round. Our next matchup is our number five seed, Gaia Project, versus our number 13 seed, Obsession. All right, Anthony, what do you have for right. us here? Yeah, so we talked a little bit last week about how Gaia Project's Automa is like one of the most impressive in Euro games, uh, just for how condensed and elegant it is. Like you have the, just the two cards there and it tells you everything you need to do. And it's relatively straightforward what you need to do compared to some of these other ones, especially the newer Euros with, you know, 15 page rule books on the solo rules. And you're like, I just don't want to read that. Um, it's it's fantastic. Obsession, the reason this one moved on uh, over Feast for Odin is just thematically, it's very, it's just such a thematic game. And it does a lot of really cool things um mechanically but it's just you can tell the passion of the person who made this game based on you know all the cards the the way the mechanics work all the extra flavor text in the book and on everything it's just if you want that kind of theme in a game this is a game to play um so this one's really hard because it's like two very different things i'm like mechanically gaia project easily obsession is just a fun interesting different type of game to play it's not you know terra mystica in space um at the end of the day, I am more of a mechanics guy. So I, I'm going to go with Gaia Project myself. But th this is actually a lot closer than it would seem based on the seating. I like these games a lot. What's interesting is I'm actually going to come down on the other side because I'll take a really, really good theme over mechanics that I think are a little too dull. So I'm not, so I've, I've not gotten to really enjoy Gaia Project solo. I've you know I've played Terra Mystica. I think it's good. Um I've played Gaia Project with other people. I've not gotten to, to sample the glory of the the Automa. However, I also hate space games. Like it's oh, just a yeah. bias that I have. It's just true. Like if you if you're like, oh yeah, it's set in space, I'm immediately like there are some space games that I do really like and those are exceptions. But I also tend it has to be an exceptional game for it to be set in space and for me to want it. Um, so for me, obsession is much more in line with stuff that I actually enjoy thinking about, you know, the characters I enjoy kind of role playing as the kind of story that I want to tell when I'm playing a game. Obsession's it for me. And I think that, you know, Dan Halligan's obsession with this time period, with this literature, with making this game the best it can be, the fact that he did a reprint that really took feedback into consideration and made real improvements. Um, you know, obsession really, really does it for me. And it's, you know, if I have someone over and I want to show them a game, I'm not going to be like, let's play Gaia Project. I'm going to be like, oh, obsession. We got to try this so that we can pretend to drink tea and be Maggie Smith. And like, <laughs> I 100% yeah. <laughs> have my own little obsession, like by myself, like playing with my cards, like my little commentary, what was going on. Uh, for me, it's, it's an immersive game that I just love for that. So I can't resist that topic, that theme. Chris, strangely enough yeah i mean strangely enough obsession thematically i think is brilliant but it has never really been in my wheelhouse at all not even a little bit i don't watch any of those super popular shows that everyone watches and i don't read any of those super popular books and all of that kind of stuff but when this was at pax unplugged and anthony could tell you because he yelled at me multiple times that i would run from our game to go teach somebody else how to play Obsession and then run back to the Pretty game. Fine. And I, I sold more copies of Obsession at PAX Unplugged than the publisher was not there. So, you know, it. I own the first edition. I bought the second edition. The second edition with the upgrades, especially in the solo, is fantastic. And again, it, it, is, a, it is a passion project 
of his, and you could tell that. And again, it was another game that is insanely stuffed full of things. I actually, you know, it's right over here. See, right? So yeah, I'm going to go with Obsession, uh, not just for the theme, but obviously the mechanics I do feel are very good. I think it's a unique mix of worker placement, but also tableau building. And I think that's a lot of fun. And again, really good diversity as far as that's concerned. So that means Obsession, our number 13 pick, and our huge upset moves on to the next round. (laughs) All right, next up, it's our number six seed, Underwater Cities, versus our number 14 seed, Lisboa. All right, so confession, I've not played Underwater Cities. I've heard about it. I have no clue. I don't know anything about Underwater Cities. (laughs) So, uh, but I have played Lisboa and I really like it. So I know that it would be an upset that y'all probably vote against it, but that's fine. I I will see the praises of Lisboa because there's a lot to appreciate about it. I think that as a really crunchy Euro, Lisboa really is amazingly thematic and surprisingly easy to teach and learn because of that, despite its complexities. Artistically, it is stunning. And I think that, you know, tools art that is so deeply inspired by that historical period and in line with the theme of the game is really, really impressive. And I think that the fact that the game really ties in actual aspects of the earthquake that occurred in Lisbon, uh, where the game is set and that rebuilding project, it's just so beautifully tied into the game that I have not really seen anything quite like it. I also think that playing games about Portugal is highly unusual. I can't think of any others, but that, I mean, they're, they're, I'm sure they're out there, but like, to me, Lisboa was a really eye-opening game because it got me into a historical period I didn't know a lot about. It made me realize that really, really chunky Euros are not that bad at all, actually. It was really fun. We had a bunch of people up and playing it, like, pretty fast, actually. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think as, a, as an object of art, you know, Lisboa is actually really, really, really something that most games aren't. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, this is this game is the one I point to when people argue that Euros can't be thematic. Like, oh, thematic games in Euros. I'm like, what about Lisboa? You know, like Vitalicerda in general, like any of his games, honestly. But this one in particular, like, and it helped, like, you know a Euro is thematic when it helps teach the game. Like when the mechanics make sense in the context of the setting, right? Um, and that's what Lisboa does. I love this game. It is a fantastic game to play solo. Um, I also really, really enjoy Underwater Cities, though. It is just a brilliant game. And in terms of solo play, I think this one is starting to usurp for me Terraforming Mars, which used to be my number one solo uh, Euro, because this one's a little bit harder. (laughs) It's harder to actually beat. And with the expansion content, it's brilliant. But mostly, I know both of these games have been Chris's number one at some point, and so I want him to pick. I'm going to give him the Sophie's choice here. So I'm going to go with Underwater Cities. (laughs) You're mean. You're really I was hoping I was going to get away with this. I don't know what to pick. (laughs) You're suffering a true victory this night. (laughs) I love both of these games, so I'm okay either way. (laughs) He's thinking for the audio listeners. (laughs) Lots of faces. Yeah, I, Underwater Cities has replaced Terraforming Mars for me. Period. That I, you know, when they came out with the Super Deluxe Terraforming Mars, I was like, eh. 
I have underwater cities. Have you seen underwater cities? Because it's awesome. I mean, really, I mean, all you could do next is just add water to it. And then it would just be, you know, as thematic as possible. And Lisboa and Underworld Cities have a lot of similar mechanics and gameplay as far as playing a card that does a thing to your whole setup of board. So it's that kind of action mechanic. You play these cards in a certain order, in a certain way, and they do certain things and how they interact with the board is really phenomenal. Um, let's see how long I could stall because I don't know. <laughs> uh, Lisboa was also one of my number one games of all time not too long ago. I think it might have even been the, the previous year. And this was, again, another great game, as, as Liz has said, that you're rebuilding the city with cubes, which are the rubble, and the rubble are representative of the different time periods of destruction that came upon Lisbon. So when you're building it up, you do feel thematically this all does make sense throughout the history that they were going through. So both of these do play, you know, very similar. Uh, going back to underwater cities, it's it's all about building this underwater city with these, you know, biodomes and all these tunnels. So again, it fits very, very well. I have yet, unfortunately, and I don't know why this is, but I have yet to get to underwater cities as a solo game. So if I'm going to split the difference, I'm going to go with Lisboa because I have played that solo. So Lisboa, our number 14 seed, moves on to the next round. All right. <laughs> Damn you, I dig solo it. gamers. Great one. Damn you. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. This, this, this bracket's rigged, man. <laughs> All right. So after that big upset, let's talk about another challenging setup. Our number 10 seed, Everdale, versus our number two seed, Terraforming Mars. All right. Uh, so I, I did just get through saying that I'd rather play Underwater Cities and Terraforming Mars solo, but I don't love Everdell solo, so it's still <laughs> still got to be Terraforming Mars for me. Um, I think Everdell is a, it's a wonderful game. It's very cute. It's accessible. It's got so much content going on for it, but I just, I don't know. It, it doesn't do it for me. I, it's not a game I want to sit down and play alone. It's, it's fairly straightforward. It's fairly simple, kind of family weight fair. It's just not what I typically want to sit and play. I don't find it very challenging. Um, Terraforming Mars does it right. And again, Underwater Cities kind of follows this rule. Like you're not just trying to get the most points. You're trying to complete various objectives. If you don't do that, you lose regardless of your points. And I love that. I think all Euros should figure out a way to do that. They don't, but I think they should. Um, and there's no Automa. There's no rule changes. And that's it just makes it easy and quick to set up. And I don't have to reference the rules a bunch to play it. So it's still Terraforming Mars for me on the solo front. So I'm definitely going to have to agree with you there. Everyone's cute. It's charming. Uh, I don't dislike it at all. But Terraforming Mars is a much deeper experience. And I get so much more satisfaction out of building a good engine and finding good card combinations and deciding what to do, kind of chewing on decisions. You know, Terraforming Mars just is a meatier game. And I think for a solo player, that's what you're eventually going to need. And, you know, Terraforming Mars gives me a lot more of that satisfaction than Everdell, I think, can at any time. It's still cute. I like it. But Terraforming Mars is, is definitely the winner here for me. All right. Our number two seed, Terraforming Mars, moves on to the next round. Next up is our third bracket, Heavy Games and War Games. So starting right off from the top, our number one seed, Root, versus our number eight seed, Komachichia. All right, Liz, you want to start off here and, and uh, kind of school Anthony a little bit? 
You mean a Comancheria? I, I mean, I'd like to pronounce it correctly, but that was never going to happen, Liz. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Comancheria, it's, it's a really interesting, well-done game. I have a lot of respect for it. It's also a real pain in the butt. Like, it's so heavy that, like, I have to be in the mood to play Comancheria. Uh, Root, on the other hand, I think is really phenomenal because it brings war game mechanisms to wider audiences in a way that they find palatable. I also think, frankly, the Steam version is excellent, which helps me get more games of it in, to be real. Like, I know that a lot of people are like, oh, nothing could replace analog. But for me, I actually like to be able to do both. And um, I think that the the bots for Root are really, really good. Like, at first, like that first solo mode, uh, no. But, um, like, you know, where you're just, just the cats. But now that they have all these um, these new options coming in it's now a very exciting game to play solo and i can understand why people are so attracted to it because i feel that same vibe so commentria is a real masterpiece in many ways i i really respect it in terms of its theme and the way that it treats its subject matter the fact that it is a work created by a real you know somebody who really has experience of the things he's talking about but root is just the snappier funner more just beautiful game on many levels it's just got to be root yeah i think i agree just in in general like comancheria was very impressive when i got it and i don't even remember why i powered through so much because i was there's so much rules the game takes so long it's like four to eight hours long it is it is a journey to get through this game um, but when i finished it i was v- just I was blown away by it to the point where I kept it. And this is not the kind of game I would keep because it's just so much. Uh, but Root is, especially with the new Clockwork expansions that they've been releasing, like the first one and now the second one coming to the Kickstarter. It's mm-hmm. not just a brilliant game, like you said, that brings wargaming mechanics to everybody. Um, where like I was walking my kids through how to play it. They can't quite play it, but they wanted to know how to play it because yeah. of the artwork and because of the characters, right? Um my daughter actually entered the the artwork contest for that they ran for the last Kickstarter. She was so she was like, I love these characters. Um, Comancheria, obviously, it, it's that's very narrow, you know. And then Root is very it, the solo works now too, so it's not just like, hey, this is a brilliant game that happens to have solo, which would make it a harder sell here. But that, yeah. those Clockwork, you know, all four of them are great. Um, even the cats, the upgrades that they made to the cats from the first version are okay. <laughs> the rest are great. So yeah, it's Root for me as well. All right, so that means our number one seed, Root, moves on to the next round. Next up is our number five seed, Leaving Earth, versus our number 13 seed, On Mars. This seems oddly, you know, fitting. Anthony, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah, the, big, you're the big uh, sci-fi fan. Why don't you take this? Uh, yeah, I know. I, f- I feel like uh, we've threw a lot of space stuff into this bracket for you, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we've got two very different types of games. Leaving Earth is Math, the game. And then On Mars is another Voltaire Lacerda game. So a very carefully themed Euro, which does a lot of very interesting, very uh, impressive things. I love Leaving Earth. I've been championing this game since the first time I played it, which was like five, six years ago. Um, Comes in a little shoebox. I I don't think they've ever got this published otherwise. And... The artwork is just brilliant. You put all the cards together, creates this big sweeping tableau of the solar system. 
But at the end of the day, it is math, the game. So you have to want to do a lot of mathematics and, and try to figure out like the probability and the odds of certain things happening in a certain way. Like how, what are the odds that this rocket's going to work if I don't test it the full number of times? But if I test it the full number of times, then I'm using too many turns doing that. And then I don't have enough time to actually reach the further planets that I'm trying to get to, which I find fascinating, but it's also kind of dry, right? Um, on Mars is, it's just, such a great game um and it's vitalis Cerda at his best and it's a big heavy one too like he makes a lot of very heavy games but this one kind of elevates it a little bit above um and just because it's more accessible i feel like it does more things that more people be more interested in it's it's a there's more game in the box um i wouldn't say it's more replayable because leaving earth has several expansions and, and things to do there but it I think you mentioned earlier another game like you have to be in that mindset to play it and that's what leaving earth is i have to be like not burned out and so i haven't played it in the last year because i'm never not burned out in the middle of this pandemic right and, and it kind of revolves like a rules refresh um on mars is also heavy but it doesn't really do that to me it's not you know mentally taxing so it's on mars for me so i've played neither of these games and i really just do not care like I, feel, I don't mean that I'm like <laughs> that's okay yeah I'm just, like if somebody's like oh here are your options for tonight i'd be like i'll stay home and play a solo game <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it's it's not that i think that either of these games is objectively bad or that if actually i was at a table and somebody taught me that i would not enjoy them because i probably would i actually find that just because something doesn't initially track me doesn't mean that i won't like it but I don't, I don't really have a basis to choose. If I had to choose one as an experience, however, given that I've played neither, I would choose Leaving Earth because it's unlike anything that I've ever played. And therefore, that's the one that I would want to play. So I'm going to pick it to be difficult and then make Chris decide. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, not being a solo gamer. So, of course, my opinion carries more weight because if I, of all people will be willing to play a game solo. It's got to be a good solo game. And that would be On Mars. All right. So On Mars moves on to the next round. Next up, our number six pick, Zaya, Legends of a Drift System, versus number 14 seed, Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947. All right, so for me, this is an easy pick because I'd much rather play a game about Gandhi than Zaya, which is probably evidenced by the fact that I own and have played Gandhi and do not own and have not played Zaya. <laughs> You're going to get Anthony mad now. Anthony, That's calm okay. down, buddy. Oh, hey, hey. Calm down, buddy. Peace, buddy. Look, 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 he's getting up. He's getting up. He's getting crazy. You can't see this on but, the hey, audio. I'm going to sit here he's... and non-violently wait you out. <laughs> So <laughs> nice, nice one, Liz. Nice. That's awesome. So, okay, Gandhi is amazing, amazing because of so many things that it does that are fresh and just interesting. Like it is finally this kind of a coin game that does not have a like that has a peaceful faction, a nonviolent faction. That is so cool. It's so new. It's fresh. Also, Gandhi represents a major change in coin games. Because this is, we're now shifting away from the crazy bot charts and into a card-based system for solo. And I think that that is a massive, massive change in coin. I'm really excited about how things are progressing with coin at this point. Like, I just, I'm really, really, really digging 
Gandhi, just like as a concept, as a game, as a historical period to think about. And, you know, actually, I think about Gandhi a lot recently because I tell you, I read that nine days book about trying to save the life of Martin Luther King Jr. And how much people here at the time were also influenced by Gandhi and what he was doing and how that also impacts like the United States. Like for me, just it's just so much more interesting. Just, there's just no question. Like, I would much rather play this for a number of reasons than whatever this Zaya game is. Whatever. <laughs> uh, I said just lighting things on fire. <laughs> no, man. I hate Zaya. I hate it. It's such a... Ugh. It just... I loathe that game. Um, I've played it twice. And I have not played it solo, I will admit. But just having played it once with the base game and once with the expansion, just absolutely no enjoyment for me so um this one last week i think because it was up against an 18xx game so just throwing that out there (laughs) um gandhi on the other hand is everything you said i love like the coin system in general like i like the idea of these asymmetrical factions and all these different ways that they've been approached over the course of like the 13 games in the series now but this one was on my list for at least two years i think it was on our most anticipated list in january twice because we're just waiting for that P500 to get done. And I, I think it's brilliant. So yeah, it's 100% Gandhi for me. I I just, I wish more games would do this. Like I love the mechanics of things like war games. I just don't necessarily like war games, you know? Like I don't want to play as a faction in, in a war. Um, I don't think there's necessarily anything specifically wrong with that, depending on how it's presented. I just don't want to do it. But Gandhi is a different way to do that. And I love that. All right, so that means our number 14 seed, huge, huge upset, Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 and 1947, moves on to the next round. Next up is our number seven seed, Space Corps, 2025 to 2300 AD versus Nemo's War. All right. Uh, All right, I'll speak for Space Corps because I have a feeling I need to. Um... (laughs) Uh, so Space Corps is a funny game because it comes from GMT and I'm expecting this big, huge, ex- expansive, complicated war game type of thing. And it's not at all like it could have been produced by any other company. And it, it is a very fun, accessible um, take on the space race, but then going beyond that. Right. So it's like, you know, near future exploration of a solar system and then beyond and beyond and beyond. And the cool thing about the game is it does this in phases. So you do a bunch of stuff. You kind of pass the phase. You move into the next phase. You flip the board over. You're like, oh, wow. New stuff to do, new places to go. And it's all card-based, right? So you don't have this big, complicated charts. You don't have bits all over the map. You have some bits on the map. You don't have, you know, it's not this big, complicated, cardboard, chit-heavy game like you'd expect from GMT. It's a card-driven exploration game, and you do a lot of really cool stuff with that. Um, I don't play it as much as I would like, so I do find myself, like, kind of refreshing on the rules when it does come out, because it is long. It does take a lot of time to get through all those different eras. Um the rules say you don't have to play all of them, but why would you not if you're going to play a game like that? It's the same like Comancheria, where I'm like, I want to play this. I could play the short version, but why would I do that? <laughs> so that, that means I only play it once every two years. So Space Corps kind of falls in a similar boat. It's too long. Um, Nemo's War is just theme, 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 theme. Like, I love how it takes everything from this novel and it just builds a just this brilliant game. And it's the kind of game I probably would have avoided. I'm not a huge like design person, but like that initial versions, like coming in a plastic bag, it just wasn't pretty to look at. But what they've done with it 
in recent Kickstarters, it's also beautiful as well. So this is a game that I'm happy to pull out. I'm not a huge dice person, but the way it does it and the way it kind of builds everything around it, I think it does really well. So I'm going to go with Space Core, but I do love Nemo's War. I think it's um, it's a very thematic game from a book that I absolutely loved as a child. And I'm happy this exists. I wish more games like it did exist to bring back like old kind of classic fiction. So I don't I don't own Space Core, but I've actually looked into it because it does actually look like it's a pretty good game. So definitely not to trash Space Core. But look, Nima's War is really something special. It's is it is a really I mean thematically it really is incredible. If you want to play a war game that also really generates a narrative as you go, I don't know if you can really beat Nemo's war it's it's also just so beautifully done for solo I feel really catered to as a solo player when it comes to this game um I I do often favor you know and, and we don't see enough of them games that are truly solo games for solo players and I love that you know Nemo's where you can do things like go for different things you, know, you can be into war you can be into science there are different little aspects of the story that you can choose to bring to the forefront as you play so yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a dice game, but like lots of war games are that. You should not play war games if you do not wish to roll dice for the most part. <laughs> but I think that the things that Nemo's War can do thematically in terms of generating a story, in terms of really sucking you in, and in terms of being able to be different stories, depending on what you choose your, you know, your priorities to be per game, there's just really nothing that feels quite like it. And my gaming shelf and gaming life would be sadder if I did not have Nemo's War. So for me, it has to be Nemo's War. It's a game that I would actively miss. Like, you know how we play a lot of games and sometimes it's like, oh yeah, that exists. I don't feel like that about Nemo's War. I don't forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it looks like we have a little bit of a challenge here. Now, I have not played either one of these games. That being said, when Nemo's War came to Kickstarter, I believe... This was something that I did actually seriously consider backing because the way that they talked about the gameplay, the, the setup of the game, how you could, as you said, let's bring different things up, up front. The production overall was very good. And I almost pulled the trigger on it. And again, this is back in the day when it came out, which is a couple of years ago where solo gaming really wasn't a necessity like it is now. So if I was going to back one of these when it came out, it would have been Nemo's War. So uh, Nemo's War, our number two pick, moves on to the next round. All right, and now on to our final bracket, which is lighter fare and card games. So first up is our number one seed, Marvel Champions, the card game, versus our number eight seed, Cartographers. All right, so I'm going to say, for, I actually really like both. I am very fond of Cartographers. It is my second favorite roll and write, so no slight on Cartographers at all. I will play it pretty much anytime. I love it. But Marvel Champions, the card game is so good. And it has actually a lot of the things that I really like about Sentinels of the Multiverse, but in, I think, an easier to digest form for a lot of people. Um, you know, because it's more recognizable characters. You don't have to play three of them to have a full game. Uh, and it's still an expanding, growing system that has so many interesting, you know, interplays between cards and really good expansions and bringing in new characters. And it really feels like you're playing that character. There's just, it's just Marvel done right. I really like Marvel Champions. And, you know, one of these days I'm going to have to do like a superhero off where I really decide what my favorite superhero games are. And I don't know how I'm going to do it, but Marvel Champions is going to be in that top bracket. I really, really like it. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I'm so happy to hear you say that too, because last week I was like, "Oh, it's gonna get knocked off." It got. It was so close. Jason. Jason was not a fan. Um. So, I I love this game. It it kind of snuck up on me because at first I was a little cynical. I was like, All right, "Another LCG," and they're just slapping the Marvel license on. But I've now, <laughs> Chris, get away from me for that. Yes. <laughs> um, I've been collecting and playing it since it came out, and it's just. I love it. I every time a new pack comes out, I get the hero and I'll play through most of the villains, just kind of getting a feel for it. Sometimes doubling up, sometimes combining it with other ones to see how it plays. Especially with the most recent ones like Ant Man and the Wasp or Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, where they're kind of designed to be played together. I yeah, I love this game, and I I do wish that there was more like actual quality story content for it. I think that's the one thing it's missing. They're trying these like little box expansions, but like an actual full blown campaign, um, mm-hmm. I think is needed. But other than that, the core mechanics, which I've loved since Lord of the Rings, like the core mechanic that's there is still great. It's just, it's streamlined now and it's superheroes and it's, a, it's awesome. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. I, I, I love Lord of the Rings. I would say in many ways, this one's a little bit more accessible. Not just because of the theme, but because like, I mean, you can actually handle everything out of the box, out of the core box. Which in Lord of the Rings you kind of kind of can't. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> also the rule book's also like eight pages versus Lord of the Rings, which is like twenty-seven. So it's like it's easier to learn too. All right, so that means our number one seed, Marvel Champions, the card game, moves on to the next round. Next up is our number twelve seed, the Lost Expedition, versus our number four seed, Sprawlopolis. All right, we got the battle of the two games that I play when I'm watching TV. Uh, so. <laughs> I, I love Lost Expedition. It's uh, We talked about this last week kind of as because it was up against Friday and it's kind of replaced Friday for me in that slot of like just quick puzzly type of game where the, the draw of the cards can kind of mess you up, right? Um, it is somewhat random. It's very random at times. So you could just have a bad draw and you're like, this game is over, but it only takes 10 minutes. So you just do it again. Sprawlopolis is this, it's one of the wallet games um, from Button Shy and it's this puzzle type of thing that I take on the train or on the airplane or to conventions. Cause I can just throw it in my pocket. And like, I know that's their whole shtick is like throw it in your pocket and take it with you anywhere. But this is the one I actually do that with <laughs> is Sprawlopolis. So um, I love both of these games. I feel like Sprawlopolis probably has more legs on it. Cause it's again, it's, it's different every time you always have different scoring mechanisms. It is uh, it's dependent on the cards that come out and it is much more portable. The Lost Expedition is one I find myself playing slightly less over time just because you are going through the kind of the same motions every time that you play it. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Sprawlopolis. I'm really glad you say that because I don't like the Lost Expedition at all. Like, who the hell goes in the jungle with three bullets? (laughs) Get a brain on. You got all these, like, brilliant female explorers and they go in the jungle with three bullets? What the? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Whereas I think that Sprawlopolis is a work of genius. I really, really think that it is touching on something that very few games do. There's something about its flexibility and the fact that it's so simple and yet so brain melting at the same time that is just magical for me. And, you know, for me, Sprawlopolis is both a solid game that is really fun to play and a game that really impresses me with the range of what games can do, even if there are only 18 cards. I really think that Sprawlopolis is both fun and an achievement. Definitely wins it for me. Awesome. All right, next up is our number six seed, Isle of Cats 
versus our number three seed, Role Player. Ew, this is hard. I like both games, actually. So here's how I'm going to make my decision. So Isle of Cats, for those of you who don't know, is a really cute, fun, like polyominoes game with cats. And I also really like Frank West. I think it's a really fun game. It's a it's a it's a nicely done game. Role player. I sort of feel like role player is just so much more than basic role player at this point because it's had really good expansions. It's part of an entire universe that Thunderworks has. And I feel like in terms of a solo collection, role player is just more of a staple. And I think with the um with the monsters and minions expansion, it really just became something it was already fun. And then it became really, really good. Um, I don't think the Isle Cats is there yet. If there is more support for Isle Cats and it continues to kind of be a thing, I could see myself eventually liking it better because I really do like Polyamino's games. But for now, for me, it's a role player. Um, I've got more of a history with this. I think it's more of an overall contribution to the world of solo gaming. And um, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Nice. Uh, I love that. I love to hear you say that you're big on polyominoes because I'm the polyomino guy on this podcast. And Chris is always giving me grief. It's always giving me grief over here. So I love Isle of Cats. I think it's brilliant. I'm not even like a big cat guy, but it's just the game itself and the way it brings in other mechanics. It's not just laying polyominoes. Obviously you have the, the drafting mechanics and the way it handles it in solo is very clever. It's just a very fun, solid game. Um, but I do agree with what you're saying here, that role player is a more developed game. Like if we were talking like, core box role player versus isle of cats i'd probably go with isle of cats because that initial release of role player was like oh this is brilliant and then once i'd played it like half a dozen times i was like all right i get it <laughs> like i get it this is cool yeah <laughs> um but there's so much layered on top of that now like and i you know i've backed all the content i have the big jumbo box now with all the stuff's you know pushed into it so i'm gonna go with role player as well um i think it is it's one of those games that will just stay on my shelf and keep coming out because there's enough there and it keeps itself relevant isle of cats uh it's so cool and it's fun it's creative and it's clever but i don't know that it has that kind of longevity like it's been out for a little less than a year in a year from now will i still be playing it that frequently i don't know all right so that means our number three seed role player moves on to next round and finally our last matchup for the bracket is our number seven seed oni rim versus our number two seed arkham horror the card game Right. Uh, this one's tough because it's two very different types of games, like the situation in which I'd play them. Uh, like Onirim is, this is like the game that like when we moved to Pittsburgh, I had one game in my bag with us because we were staying in an Airbnb. It was this because I threw it on the floor and I just played the different versions of it when I had spare time. Um, Arkham Horror is like a whole big thing. It's a whole production. There's, you know, 50 different scenarios, I think, out and out for it. Uh, all of it linking together through this like overarching story um, in, in the individual cycles. And it's brilliant. I think it's the best implementation of that system by combining mechanics and storytelling. Um, and it actually feels like a legit built for solo play game. It's one of my favorite games. Onirim is one of the best smaller box games out there. Um, so I, I don't know. This one's actually really hard for me to pick. I think... If you ask me to pick between keeping my Marvel Champions collection and keeping Arkham Horror, at this point, I'd probably still lean towards Arkham Horror. So I think I'm going to have to pick that over Onirim just because of the overall structure. I know I'm thinking like three steps ahead, but it just it's a better overall experience and it feels like I'm more immersed in it when I'm playing this. 
and it makes me more likely to sit like, oh, well, let's do the next one. Let's see what happens next. Or let me try that again because I want to make sure I get the right ending that I want. Um, Oni Rim is just a game I'm always going to play. <laughs> you know, it's brilliant. And if you've never played solo games before, you should get it if you can or download the app. But Arkham Horror is it's just it's so good. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I had a similar internal conflict when I was looking at those because Onirim has a really specific purpose in my life. It's a really chill game. It's a very meditative game. It's a solo classic. So yes, if it's not in your collection and you're a solo gamer, I think it should be there. Um, it's a lovely small box game. However, gosh, Arkham Horror, the card game, is just really something as a game. And that, that storyline and the way everything works together and, you know, your creeping insanity as you continue to play. <laughs> it's a game that actually has these kind of long-running consequences in ways that so many games don't do as well. Because it's like punishing, but you can still keep going. It's punishing, but there's still something to do. And I really think there's something special about that. So for me, it's got to be Arkham Horror as well. All right, that means our number two seed, Arkham Horror the Card Game, moves on to the next round, which means we go all the way back up to our first bracket, which is our co-op games for our next matchup, which is our number one seed, Spirit Island, versus our number four seed, Pandemic. Spirit Island all the way. No question. I, I love Spirit Island. I mean, Pandemic, it's full, It's fun. Like, I could really take or leave it. If I never played another Pandemic game, I wouldn't be sad. If I never played another game of Spirit Island, I would be really, really sad. Yeah, yeah 100%. I'm with you. Um, yeah. If, if you asked me before, like, what I thought cooperative gaming was, you know, three, four years ago, I'd say Pandemic. And I was like, it's fine. Eh, I'll play it if I have to. And then Spirit Island comes out. And now that's what cooperative gaming is for me. And I love that game. So it's, it's definitely it's changed my view on the genre of gaming. Obviously, it's got to be Spirit Island. All right, that means our number one seed, Spirit Island, moves on to the final round. Next up, our number six seed, Sentinels of the Multiverse, versus our number two seed, Gloomhaven. Well, this is easy for me. Um, I, Gloomhaven all the way. I I, I think I've, the last two weeks now, I've talked about how I don't really like Sentinels and why I don't like Sentinels, so I don't need to rehash that because I don't think it's a bad game. It's just not for me. Um, Gloomhaven is brilliant and it's kind of a generational type of uh, uh, production that we're not going to see a game like this for a very long time. So it's Gloomhaven for me personally. Yeah, I love Sentinels and Multiverse, but it has to be Gloomhaven for you for the same reasons. Like generational, I think, is a good way to put it. Um, you know, that year when it won all the awards, I remember thinking like, are people going to get upset that Gloomhaven is winning so many awards, but it deserves all the awards. It, some games are just really it, you know? Yeah, I think that Gloomhaven is one of those. All right, next bracket up is our Euro bracket and our number one seed, Mage Knight, versus our number third seed, the Cinderella of all games, Obsession. So uh, Obsession, I love it. It's great, but it's going to have to go back under the downstairs while Mage Knight is going to have to be upstairs. <laughs> Mage Knight is just the best. I It's so good. I will... If I could only keep one game for the rest of my life, it'd be Mage Knight. Love it. Yeah, I don't know that it's it's quite up that level for me, but in terms of like, if you're asking like solo games and I had to pick one that I was just going to play over and over again and like, just you, nobody else can ever play this game. I'm like, well, probably Mage Knight because I don't want anybody else to play this game, right? It's Obsession is great. The solo game is fine. Mage Knight is great and the solo game is great. So it's it's got to be 
Mage Knight. All right. Our number one seed, Mage Knight, moves on to the next round. Our next matchup is our number 14 seed, Lisboa, versus our number two seed, Terraforming Mars. Ooh, yeah. So this is harder than it seems like it would be. Uh, Lisboa is, in terms of Lacerda's heavier games, this is my favorite of his solo implementations. Um, I think the Galarus is still my favorite of his games, period, because of how quick it is. It's not on this list. But Lisboa is, is just brilliant for all the reasons we just talked about. Terraforming Mars, though, like I said, this does solo gaming in Euros the way I want it to be done. And it's still the best that out there that does that, for me at least. Um, so I'm going to stick with Terraforming Mars on this one just because of the type of game that it is and because of what it does for me personally and the number of plays that I have of this, you know, a couple hundred at this point. Uh, but Lisboa is a very, very close behind it. Yeah, I'm actually going to have to go with you. Lisboa is really a great game. I really like it. But Terraforming Mars is like one of those games I can get so into that I don't notice time passing. Or like I noticed that like my heart rate actually went up because I was excited about what I was about to do. And not all games do that. It's It's got to be Terraforming Mars between the two. All right. Well, Terraforming Mars moves up to the final round. Our next bracket is Heavy Games and War Games. Our first matchup is our number one seed, Root. Versus our number 13 seed on Mars. Root. Root. So hard. Yeah, I don't care about on Mars at all compared with Root. 100% Root. <laughs> By the way, I want to say that so far, we'll see if this changes, but it's not going to, if I have anything to say about it. So we, we've had some upsets, but our one and two seeds are really holding across these um, across these categories so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh it's a regular this is like what the brackets usually are. Like you watch the NCAA tournament and you're like, yeah, the 15 seed won, and then they lose the next game. Of course they do, because it's, it's just how it works. Um the reason that there were the other one's the number two. I, I agree though on this one. On Mars, I love I it is important to me. I think it's a fantastic game, but Root is my number two game of all time, period. Like there are no other games on this list that I like more than this game. So it, it yeah, it's gotta be up there for me. All right, our number one seed, Root, moves on to the final round. Next up, it's our number 14 seed, Gandhi. The decolonization of British India from 1917 to 1947 versus our number two seed, Nemo's War. Oh, okay. Um, I really like Gandhi. I really do. I, <laughs> I think it's, it's just such a clever take. Like in coin in general, it, it's just, it's a lot of fun to play solo, even with the old you know, flowchart stuff that nobody liked. I enjoyed it. Um, this one, like you said, it changes that. The theme is interesting. It's new. It's different. Uh, but Nemo's War is like perfectly designed for solo play. You know, similar we're talking about like Mage Knight. This game is for solo players. That's what Nemo's War is. Um, this one's really difficult for me. Kind of a, a toss up there. I'm going to go with Gandhi, uh, though, just because of all those things different it does. And because I love that, genre and theme of games so much and it, it kind of is changing how we look at that um but it's very close so i really respect that choice but for me it really is nemo's war i like nemo's war so much aesthetically narratively gameplay option wise you know the fact that it's really true i mean gandhi is actually really built for solo in ways that other coin games have not been so i'm not trashing it on that front but nemo's war is a solo gamer solo game and I'm a solo gamer, solo gamer. I love me more as war. 
<laughs> well, that leaves up to me. And Anthony, I, I really can't fight with Liz here. So I'm going with Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947, <laughs> because that's what Gandhi would do. <laughs> so our number 14 seed moves on to the next rounds. You're like, I'm not going to fight with you, but I'm picking the different one. <laughs> <laughs> it's what Gandhi would we'll do. We'll fight later. Don't worry, everyone. We just can't do it on camera. <laughs> so in a tremendous I'll, upset. I will remember this for years now, just so you know. <laughs> oh, no. Look, oh, now we're creating enemies, Chris. I told you this was a mistake. What are we doing? <laughs> Don't worry. We'll just be peaceful like we always are, and we'll just get through it. It'll, it'll surprise everybody. Liz will get all angry and there'll be torches and stuff, but it'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. That's what you think. <laughs> and just like Gandhi himself, leading a huge upset by the master power, Nemo's War. So our number 14 seed, Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947, moves on to the final round, which brings on our lighter fair and card games. Uh, our number one seed, Marvel Champions, the card game, versus our number four seed, Sprawlopolis. All right, so here's where I'm going to be a little bit more controversial, which is I am actually between these. I'm going to say Sprawlopolis, not because I don't love Marvel Champions, because I really, really do, but because Sprawlopolis does in 18 cards and like 10 bucks what games that are hundreds of dollars and several expansions fail to do, which is be endlessly repeatable, fascinating, thought-provoking, and easy to teach and learn. And I don't know many games like that. I really got to give Sprawlopolis his props. Yeah, I, I I was actually a little more torn on this than I thought it would be too. Like Marvel Champions is really like skyrocketed up for me uh, just in terms of a game. Sprawlopolis though, like I was just checking uh, my phone before the episode. Like how many times I've actually played some of these games because I feel like sometimes I really talk up a game and I'm like, I played it twice. You know, like it's so long, I played it twice. But Sprawlopolis, I think I've played a couple hundred times at this point that I've lit, that I've written down, that I've logged. Because it takes not that much time and you play it three or four times in a row and you play it anywhere. And then, like I said earlier, when we're talking about like Arkham Horror versus Marvel Champions, which was what the matchup could end up being, it would be Arkham for me. So do I don't know that Marvel Champions actually outdoes Sprawlopolis. I think I would play Sprawlopolis more... Like if you put the two in front of me and I was like, oh, I'll just play this one like six times versus setting this whole thing up and playing it once. Um, so I, I actually agree with you. I think I'm going to go with Sprawlopolis as well. And I'm going to put Chris out of his misery here. And uh, <laughs> Peacefully, of course. Peacefully, yes, of course. <laughs> that means our number four seed in a tremendous upset, Sprawlopolis, moves on to the next round. And finally, in our bracket, we have our number three seed, Role Player, versus our number two seed, Arkham Horror, the card game. All right. So the exact opposite of what I just said here. Arkham Horror, I've played so many times, and it's a brilliant card game. It's the best implementation of Nate French's original design components uh, from Lord of the Rings. And I own everything for this, which is very expensive. So that should tell you, like... I'm still buying things for this game. I just bought one today, actually. Um, role player is fantastic, and it'll stay on the shelf for forever. But Arkham Horror is, just, yeah, it's, it's next level. I didn't even like Cthulhu stuff, and this ended up being one of my favorite games of all time. So that that tells you how good it is. Um, Arkham Horror for me. Yeah, between the two of these, I, I really do like role player, but 
when I think of role player, I think, oh man, that's such a good solo game. What a classic. I think of Arkham Horror and I'm just like sometimes in awe of what it can do as a game and how interested I am in it when I'm playing. Like it's just much more, I feel I have stronger emotions about Arkham Horror in a good way. So I'm going to go with that one as well. Mm. All right. That means our number two seed Arkham Horror moves on to the final round. And now back up to our first bracket, our co-op games. Again, the big matchup of all matchups, our number one seed Spirit Island versus our number two seed Gloomhaven. This is hard. This is hard because I really, really like them both. And I think they both do important things for our hobby. I think if I could only have one, that's got to be Gloomhaven. I would choose Gloomhaven because I love, I just love the, the way the cards work and the way the characters level up and you know, I love Jaws. I like that you can have Jaws the Lion now, so you have, like, the lighter version. Um, Gloomhaven is just really enjoyable for me. And, like, okay, so this Gloomhaven can do something that Spirit Island cannot do, which is feel snappy. Nothing about Spirit Island ever feels snappy because I feel like I have to think so hard about everything that I'm going to do. And Gloomhaven can be crunchy, but can also just be, like, some good, a swashbuckling good time. And so I'm I'm gonna go with Gloomhaven between those two. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a hard one. Um I think in terms of like like if I was using the metric of how many times I've played them, it's probably about even. Uh and if we're talking about like games that have done something different or unique in the space, like to me they they do feel, you know, somewhat equal, but mm-hmm. The reason I'm going to I'm going to go with Spirit Island, but the reason why I think the the thing that pushes it over the edge for me that makes it just a little bit more is that it goes outside of the box, not just mechanically, but thematically. Right. It's and that that, you know, we've talked about Spirit Island's theme to death, but no other games do that. Right. Gloomhaven is still just it's a dungeon crawl with a lot of very familiar, you know, it's a world that he's created and it's interesting and it's unique and I love it. And, you know, there's like comic books coming out now in that universe, which is great. But at the end of the day, it's like a fantasy universe in a dungeon crawl type of setting. Spirit Island is they're like, let's take this whole genre of gaming and just flip it upside down and make you think about it from the other direction. And not that nothing had ever done that, but nothing had done it this well and nothing had done it to this degree. Um, and making it a co-op is just is brilliant to me. So I it is like incredibly close. I think both of these are brilliant games. Like it would be one, two, if you're asking me like favorite, you know, the games that do this kind of thing. But I'm a Spirit Island just just barely because of um that thematic difference. Yeah. So before Chris talks, I'm gonna say one thing. I do think that thematically Spirit Island is really brilliant. However, in some ways I don't think it pushes enough. I would like to see Dahan with more agency. And it it bothers me a little bit that in order to fight back against the colonizers, you have to be a spirit, not a person. Hmm. Okay. No, that's, that's an interesting take. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's still yeah, great. I'm are... just saying to be difficult. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's good. I hadn't thought about it like that. They are kind of faceless. Yeah. When you think about it like that, like you don't, the people, there are no people you have, you have colonists, you have their buildings and you have actual people invading the land, but uh, it, it is kind of different. All right. Well, I guess this comes down to me. I've played both of these. I played them both solo. I've played them cooperatively. 
I like both of these games. As Anthony said, I probably, oddly enough, probably have played close to an equal number of these games at the same time because Gloomhaven, you just play game after game after game. And, and Spirit Island is a game that is, as Liz says, is complex, but you typically do want to push through it. And for me, if I'm playing a solo game, I do want the complexity and I want to push through it. So yeah, I'm going to go with Spirit Island here. If it was a co-op versus co-op, you might convince me, Gloomhaven, just because you do want that snappy, there's four people at a plate table. Come on, we got to get on to the next mission. But yeah, I want something a little more complex on that end, and that would be Spirit Island. All right, so that leads us up to our next bracket, which is Euro Games and our number one seed, Mage Knight, versus our number two seed, Terraforming Mars. All right. I think we'll be on the same page on this one. Uh, this one shouldn't be too hard. Um, Mage Knight is, it is like the quintessential solo game. And until very recently when Spirit Island came along, it was the solo game that everybody put at the pinnacle of that of those lists. Um, Terraforming Mars is my favorite Euro, like just pure Euro to play solo by myself. But Mage Knight is, is one of my favorite games to play solo. So it's, yeah, for me, it's Mage Knight. Yeah, you know, for me, it's Mage Knight. Um, just to comment on the, so terraforming mars i love it as an engine builder and i like that sense of progression the the thing is though that even on that level mage knight does it better for me i love the sense of growing power and better cards and options that come with mage knight in a way that even a really really good euro that kind of builds up the way the terraforming mars does it just can't quite compete with that for me all right, so that means Mage Knight, our number one seed, moves on to the next round. Next up is our heavy games and war game bracket. Our number one seed, Root, versus our number 14 seed, Gandhi, the King decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947. Okay, so this is where I get really difficult. So I like Nemo's War best of this list, but I like Gandhi better than Root in the sense that <laughs> In the sense that, so I, I think that Root is great, but really I want to play the historical game that really leads to historical exploration. I think that Gandhi, like Root has done a lot in this in the sense of making kind of coiny mechanics accessible, but Gandhi is a full-on coin game that is better for Solo than I think that they've been. And it has, you know, it's, it's basically been so influential that they're thinking about changing the solo modes for previous coin games in response to people's enjoyment of the, you know, the Arjuna solo. And so for me, Gandhi is actually doing more for my wargaming life, both as itself and in terms of its impact than, than Root, even though Root is super cool. And I do like the clockwork expansions and I don't have any issues of Root for me, like, you know, in terms of the stuff I like to play and the, the historical interest that I have in games, it's gotta be Gandhi. Yeah, so for me on this one, it, it's a kind of it's funny that you went first because I was going to say something similar. Root is if you took the idea behind coin games and boiled it down to something way more accessible than what coin games are, right? Which is why it's brilliant. It's why it's so good. But I like heavy games, right? And this is the heavy games category. And Root is it's it's a game. It's it's not the heaviest game on this on this list, right? It's kind of a war game, but it's definitely more accessible. You can play this with a lot of people. You know, as long as you get past the asymmetrical elements and people can understand that part, 
it's a fairly straightforward game, right? And you can kind of run through the rules as you go. You can't really do that with a full coin game. It's too difficult to, people need to know what they're doing. Um, and the solo versions of these two games, like Root is definitely improved. It's very good, but it's not perfect, right? You have so many factions now that there are only certain combinations that really work if you want to play it solo, unless you want to run multiple clockwork opponents. Um, Gandhi has a limited number of factions. It's a tightly designed game that's meant to work within the constraints of what's been put into the box. Um, and yeah, it's just, there's just more to it. There's more meat on the bone. I So I think I agree with you. Even though Root is one of my favorite games of all time, if we're talking about the best solo games, um, I would rather play Gandhi solo because I will spend more time at the table with it. I'll make more interesting decisions and the game itself will be more interesting and memorable. Um, like... I would probably play, if I'm going to play Root solo at the table, obviously with the clockwork, I do that a lot, but the app, like you said, has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. And then that becomes mm-hmm. something kind of a little bit different for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick Gandhi as well. I mean, and that's not because you did. It was just like what I was thinking as we got there. <laughs> <laughs> We've like started to co- well, like we converged in terms of our mental processes somewhat. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right. So that means the number 14 seed Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947, moves on to the next round. And on our final bracket, we have our lighter fare and card games. Our number four seed, Sprawlopolis, versus our number two seed, Arkham Horror, the card game. All right. Yeah. So Sprawlopolis is probably the best like solo game you can play, in my opinion, on this list my favorite solo game that you could play in like under 10 minutes, right? If you wanted something just to have and play quickly, it's, it's the best that you could pick up and it's probably the least expensive. Um, Arkham horror though, for all the reasons we talked about earlier, the story, the refinement of the mechanics, the progression system, the ability that your decisions, whether they're good or bad carry forward, all of that works and it works really well. Uh, to the point that it's it's impressive how well it works. This game's been out for five years now and nothing's really come close to matching it in terms of how it does these things. Um, so for me, it's Arkham Horror, uh, the card game. <sighs> I do feel torn, but I think that for me, it's the elegance of Sprawlopolis that really does it for me. Like I, I'm just so impressed with how much you can get out of such a tiny little, tiny little thing. And I think that that's actually an underappreciated thing about Sprawlopolis. Um, you know, people think, oh, Button Shy, it's all those wallet games. But Sprawlopolis is really the best thing that has come from Button Shy for me. And I think it really holds its own among much heavier hitter games with more backing, more funding, more marketing, more everything. And Sprawlopolis is just this, this little underdog that I, I love for that. And I think it, I think that having it for me shows the range of what a solo game can be. So it's Sprawlopolis for me. Yeah. Difficult decision. All the money versus barely any money as far as solo gaming is concerned. Uh, Utter insanity versus geometric symmetry as far as putting all the roads out there and trying to get everything to line up. So yeah, both of these games are not necessarily games that I would pick in my, my wheelhouse. I've, I've, I don't own any kind of Arkham Horror kind of games whatsoever. I do own a lot of different tile laying games of this ilk. That being said, Arkham Horror the card game 
kind of scares me when I, I had an opportunity to play it alone a little bit. And I'm like, oh, this, oh no, this is really twisted. This is really, and it does give me the feeling of, you know, playing through an actual horror, you know, movie or something to that, you know, and it really has brought me around. I mean, again, Arkham Horror stuff, Cthulhu stuff was never my jam at all. Not even a little bit. This made it my jam. Uh, Arkham Horror, the card game, moves on to the next round. All a right. reasonable choice, I suppose. <laughs> For someone well, I went a little mad there, Liz. The I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. Now we're taking a look at our bracket matches up and see about our best co-op game from our bracket, which is Spirit Island versus our best game from our Euro bracket, which is Mage Knight. All right, you two, take it away. <laughs> uh is it back to me first i think so yeah all right so <laughs> i mean you know it's mage night for me but i feel like it's important to say why especially since spirit island has been so competitive in recent years so i i mean spirit island has a lot of heat right now but honestly mage night just still plays so beautifully and design-wise, I've just really never seen something that gives me that same feeling and that has the same amount of choice while also just being brutally, brutally difficult. Um, it's For me, it's, again, like that feeling of, you know, in Spirit Island, you know, you put more of your spirit out there and, like, you grow in power and it's got some of that same vibe. But Mage Knight, and you have a hand that you build that gets better as the game goes by, and it's got some of that same vibe. But Mage Knight does both of those things better for me. Like, I feel that as you level up in Mage Knight, you really feel like you might be the most powerful being in the universe, as opposed to a spirit who's still just really trying to pile up two tiles out there and gets, <laughs> you know, and like, for me, actually, believe it or not, people talk about how Mage Knight is so hard. I actually think it's more streamlined in a lot of ways than Spirit Island in, in ways that work better for me um i think that the way that the expansions have been like i think the lost legion expansion is just one of the best expansions ever made for anything um you know i'm really i i like that i like the range of scenarios that mage knight gives me you know spirit island can feel very different depending on spirit combinations you play and scenarios you play but for me sometimes mage knight really does feel like you can have different kinds of adventures um it's you know, I like the card powers better. I like the combos that I can make in my own hand better than I do Spirit Island. So Spirit Island is good, but Mage Knight's just always doing the things that I need in a game better than any other game I have. It's just always going to be number one for, oh, hopefully something will beat it someday because then I'll be really excited. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a really difficult one because it makes me think about it in terms of like when these games came out and how I've played them. Because Spirit Island is kind of the hotness game of, of, I mean, it's been out for a few years now, but it's significantly newer than Mage Knight. Mage Knight I've had for much longer. I've played, I don't know, more necessarily, but certainly over a longer period of time. And, and Spirit Island burned really hot early and it's kind of faded, for, not faded for me, but I play it less now, right? Like it's it's a game that now has entered rotation every, you know, Maybe not every couple nights, but every every couple months. Um, and I think I agree that Mage Knight is a more streamlined game. Once you know it, once you understand the game and you play it often enough, and you know the initial 
I think, curve of getting up to speed on both of these games. Spirit Island might have the edge a little bit. They're both, they both have a lot going on, but I think it gets, it does have the edge a little bit and it does have the benefit of having a digital implementation if you want to kind of get up to speed that way. But Mage Knight, once you get the hang of it, once you play it regularly, it just, there's something about it. It's almost, it's difficult to describe why it's different, especially to people who've never played the game before. So if you've never played either of these, like I can tell you Spirit Islands, like, oh, it's like co-op, but then you mix in some like heavy duty Euro type of mechanics. And it's it's just, you know, like throw a Terra Mystica level of complexity on top of a, of a cooperative game. And that's what you got here, right? With a lot of different difficulty levels. Mage Knight, I'm like, I don't know. It's got deck building and adventuring and all these other things. Like it's just, you threw a ton of stuff in a blender. And what came out is like this very unique, special thing that isn't like any other game. And it just works somehow because Vlada Shavatl, right? So I... I think I agree with you on Mage Knight. I'm going to, yeah, I think I'm going to vote for Mage Knight as well. I love Spirit Island. It's a brilliant game all around, but Mage Knight just for me sticks higher in terms of the solo list. All right. So that means Mage Knight moves on to the final round. Or maybe I should add a little thing in Star Trek Frontiers, <laughs> which I played yeah. solo thanks to Anthony. So I really love that game. So uh, it's been in space. <laughs> That's pretty much <laughs> it. But it's got con. <laughs> it's like your favorite game of all time with a space theme. And you're like, nah, I hate that. It's still good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really such a sucker for fantasy. Like put a dragon on the box. And I'm like, you know, it's just, it never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in our final two bracket matchups, we have our heavy games and war game winner which is gandhi the decolonization of british india 1917 to 1947 versus our lighter fair and card game bracket which is arkham hara the card game hmm yeah so we we have like the representative of like coin and everything that that represents right so the war games but like the the newest most interesting modern interpretation of that versus basically the, the embodiment of card games as solo play and the newest, well, not the newest, but the best implementation of that. So it is difficult. Um, Arkham Horror for me is, it's a top 10 game. It's a game that I, I still spend money on every month that I still play regularly. I have tons of content left to go because I don't have that much time to actually get through all this, but I, I plan on doing it. That's why I keep buying them. Um, Gandhi is brilliant. I do hope, like you said, that they start using that mechanic, you know, the, the way they do the solo in other games, because I would love to play those and pick those up as well as kind of adding to the library. Um, I hope that we get more games like this that look at war game mechanics in non-traditional war settings, because um, there are plenty of candidates to do that, I think, that don't have to just be, you know, these guys versus these guys. Um, but for me, it's like just in terms of enjoyability, theme, not maybe not theme necessarily, but just the overall implementation of the storytelling components. It's going to be Arkham Horror. It's my choice. I respect that choice a lot. I think Arkham Horror is great. I really love card games, but the historical gamer in me has to go the other way because Gandhi represents so much of what I think that games can be on a deeper level. I mean, for me, because I'm such an incessant navel gazer, I just can't help that. You know? 
like for me um you know those historical games to me are in many ways they're the thing that pushes gaming beyond oh that was cool oh that was fun and into wow that really made me think and into wow this could affect the way that i see the world um and into whoa like this is a toy that is also a historical argument and I could actually like get into it with somebody about this as an interpretation of events. And like, this is the, this is somebody really presenting something that really happened in a gamified way that I can now take apart experience on some level, analyze. And to me, the reason that war and historical games are so important is that they give us that deeper experience where gaming and the world interact outside of fantasy and inside of something that's a lot more arguable because we can all like really look at it and use it as a lens. And it's where like, I mean, I think that all games tell us something about ourselves and about our society, but I think that that is laid most bare in games that are actually set on our, in our society and in events that have happened. So for me, it's gotta be Gandhi because of what it represents because of the fact that it is a new iteration of, of war games that I hope will become increasingly accessible. And because having that nonviolent faction and doing something different, I think is a sign of good things to come in, in war and historical gaming. So for me, that's very meaningful. What do you think, Chris? <laughs> well, again, these are two games that I do not own. I've played Arkham Heart of the card game. I haven't played Gandhi. And I have to reflect on, as, as Liz said, you know, the experience of the game. And obviously we're, we've been gamers for quite some time and we've played all types of games that have been out there. And I think for all of us, no matter what background of gaming you come from or what type of games you play, thematic gameplay is important. Not a game with a good theme, but a game that plays out logically like as if the events or the things actually un unfolded that you are actually following something or learning something or building something or growing something and both of these tell an excellent story i've said throughout this whole contest that if i'm going to play a solo game i want to play a solo game that does reward my time and investment and that game would be gandhi the decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947, because I think one of the very wonderful things about board gaming is the wondrous insidious nature of getting good, rich, provocative, uh, you know, I can go on for an hour about, about just how board gaming does things. And we were talking about recently, a couple months back, about Fort, that here is a game for kids that will teach them things that they don't know what they're learning, but we do. It's pretty amazing. So yeah, I'm, I'm inspired and, and interested. And I, and I, and I think after this podcast, I will have to pick up a copy of Gandhi, the decolonization of British India, 1917 to 1947. That moves on to our final round, which leaves us in our final matchup. Mage Knight versus Gandhi, the decolonization of British India. 1917 to 1947. I think you just Am like to say that whole name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right, so this is an interesting set of choices for me because it makes me think about the way that my actual gaming uh, collection has evolved. So I have too many games and things have to go. Typically, what is leaving my collection these days would be fantasy games, except for the very, very best ones. Because I'm so interested in historical and war games that those are now dominating my shelf space, they're dominating my table, they're what I'm thinking about more. But the fact is that my heart just does belong to Mage Knight. It really does. Like Mage Knight is a game that like when I have time to really get something to the table, it will always be Mage Knight. I mean, I don't know if it'll always be Mage Knight, but like right now, I think I think what Anthony hit on is that <sighs> Mage Knight, I don't know what it is exactly about Mage Knight that makes it so special, but it just has like all the right combinations of interesting things to do and think about that no other game really has. Like I can't think of any other game that feels like playing Mage Knight. I can't think of anything else that can capture that specific feeling of satisfaction that I get from it. And I think the Gandhi is so cool. And I think coin games are so cool. I love them. You know, but if I'm going to spend four hours on something, it's still going to be Mage Knight. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm all about Gandhi. We've talked about Gandhi at length, you know, at this point, both of these games at length. Um, and I think Gandhi is brilliant. I, I love that it exists. I love what it means for gaming. I love what it means for war gaming and for solo game, like all those different things. And I think it's very important for that reason. Um, I'm glad that I own it. Mage Knight, just in terms of, like, we're talking about the best overall solo games, right? And Mage Knight, it's for a long time been recognized as such. And not, this isn't, like, a popularity contest. This is, like, why is it recognized as such? And it is because it does so many different things, and they all come together and make something cohesive and engaging. And then it, as you said with Lost Legion, it expands on that and adds even more things for you to do in an interesting way to do them, right? And so that that ultimate edition version of Mage Knight with all the content in the box, that is probably the best value you can get. If you want to be a solo gamer, if you already are and you don't own any of these, that's where the value is at, right? You get everything you need there and you can play that game forever, right? Um, <laughs> and, and so, and that's not to say you couldn't get the same thing out of like a historical game, but it's a different approach, right? And I think we talked at certain points about like, when you're in the, the right mindset for different types of games. And I don't think personally for me, at least I'm not in the, the mindset to play a historical game every night of the week. It, it's I, there are nights when I'm just like, I just want to play a game that I know. And the gameplay is interesting. And that's going to be a game like mage night, not, not necessarily fantasy versus historical, but just like all these interesting mechanics kind of blending together to create an interesting, cohesive whole. Um, whereas Gandhi, you are playing partially for the theme. That's that's what that game is built around, and sometimes you maybe you're just like I I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now, um, so yeah I'm gonna go with Mage Knight as well, um, and yeah I, I do highly recommend anybody looks into to both of these games, especially if you're interested in the historical elements because I think Gandhi is very special, but Mage Knight for me as well. Yeah, it's you know playing Mage Knight again and again after so many years is so interesting because it's like greeting an old friend, but like it's like an old friend that you still have a lot to talk about with does that make sense like there's that sense of familiarity of like hey you i know you and then every time it's still a really really good conversation into the night like you pick up right where you left off does that make sense like it's there's something about it that feels familiar and new every time 
Yeah, 100%. Like, I remember when I first got it and looking through the rule book, and I'm like, all right, so there's, like, the one scenario in here for solo play. I don't know. Like, where's the replayability? And then once you play it a couple times, you're like, oh, it's, like, infinite. <laughs> like, there's so many different ways you can approach <laughs> this. You know? It's not, it's not... Because you think, like... You think of, like, scenarios, or, like, you're going through a thing, and this is what you're going to try to do. And, it's like, that's not really how the game works, right? It just unfolds differently. The exploration is different. And, and yeah, there's always something more. There's always a dip, deeper level. And... When you're new to it, it is difficult. And so that gives you something to work towards. There's a challenge. Yeah. Although I'd say that probably about both of these. Picking up any coin. Like, you don't... What yeah. is not just pick up a coin game? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that makes the winner of our March Gamer Madness in the solo bracket for 2021 mage night all right everyone we're so happy that you've joined us for both of these episodes to talk about the latest and greatest in board gaming especially these episodes about solo gaming our thanks to jason our thanks to liz for guiding us through this process whether you are the ultimate solo gamer or new to solo gaming please check out all of these games especially mage night or you know if you're a sci-fi fan star trek frontiers but Definitely check out Mage Knight because it's it's a really great game. All right, everyone. Until next time, this is Chris. This is Anthony. I'm Liz. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.